Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SubChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, our weekly review of business stories from Caixin. Expansion in China's exports hit a three-year high in February, greatly surpassing market expectations, while its surplus against the United States soared 35%, set to further fuel concerns over a trade war. The better-than-expected results came even though February had two fewer working days than last year due to the timing of the week-long Chinese New Year holiday. However, imports rose only 6.3%, weaker than a projected 8%. Concerns about trade tensions between the world's two largest economies have intensified after U.S. President Trump announced that his administration will impose steep tariffs on imported steel and aluminum. China, meanwhile, vowed to take powerful measures to defend its interests against the tariffs. Defying mounting criticism at home and abroad, Trump last week signed orders that slapped tariffs on 25% on imported steel and 10% on foreign-made aluminum. The plan exempts Canada and Mexico and leaves open the possibility for later exemptions of other countries. Washington's decision, which cited national security concerns, abuses the, quote, national security excuse and, quote, wantonly, undermines the multilateral international trade system, China's commerce ministry said. We will take powerful measures to resolutely protect our legitimate rights and interests after evaluating the damage the U.S. policy causes to the Chinese side. Despite the rhetoric, the higher tariffs are expected to have limited effect on China, as the two metals are already subject to anti-dumping measures imposed by the U.S., economists said. Delegates to this year's two big political meetings in the Chinese capital are urging the central government to spend more on preschool education and childcare facilities to address a supply crunch amid a nationwide push for young parents to have a second child. One proposal warned about the lack of skilled teachers and poor teaching quality, as well as sanitation and safety issues in Chinese kindergartens and nurseries. The calls come as demand for childcare centers has jumped in the aftermath of China's scrapping of its three-decade-long one-child policy. 
Over 100,000 two-year-olds need childcare in Shanghai, but existing facilities in the city can accommodate only 14,000, according to a survey by Shanghai's Women's Federation. China has 2.5 million preschool teachers for 44 million students, or one teacher for 18 students, in comparison with one teacher for six or nine students on average for developed countries. Caixin has learned that Chinese regulators are targeting social media accounts being used by cryptocurrency exchanges trying to reach Chinese investors, despite being banned on the mainland six months ago. Content on the WeChat account of OKX, the overseas platform launched by China's leading crypto exchange after it closed at home, is no longer accessible. A notice on the account says it quote is suspected of violating rules and laws according to user complaints close quote and is therefore blocked. WeChat users trying to access other cryptocurrency company accounts are told they no longer exist, including that of Huobi, a one-time big digital money player in China that moved after the bans. OKX and Huobi denied to Caixin that regulators had blocked their accounts on WeChat, China's most popular social media platform. But Caixin learned from sources close to regulators that they had in fact stepped in. In September, China became the first country in the world to ban fundraising through cryptocurrencies, also known as initial coin offerings, warning that they were quote giving rise to speculation and inviting suspicion of illegal financial activities. Close quote. It later expanded the crackdown to exchanges, prohibiting them from trading virtual currencies with legal tender. Buoyed by rising incomes, favorable exchange rates, and easier visa processes, outbound travel from China hit another record last year. Chinese people made 130 million trips overseas last year, a 7% jump over 2016. China was the biggest source of tourists to 10 nations: Thailand, Japan, South Korea. Vietnam, Cambodia, Russia, the Maldives, Indonesia, North Korea, and South Africa. The two hottest destinations were Thailand and Japan, attracting 10 million and 7 million visitors, respectively. But Chinese shunned South Korea last year, with the numbers of visits plunging by half due to cooling bilateral relations after Seoul agreed to deploy the U.S. THAAD missile system defense in the country. A move Beijing opposes. Foxconn Industrial Internet, a unit of the world's largest contract electronics manufacturer that assembles Apple's iPhones, won speedy approval for its IPO in China. The approval took just 36 days, a breathtaking pace in China that underscored the country's determination to attract new economy companies to its stock markets. Foxconn Industrial's approval was the fastest ever in a country where companies often wait one to two years before being allowed to go public. Several people close to China's securities regulator told Caixin that Foxconn went through a special expedited path. The quick approval comes as China is trying to entice its tech startups and overseas listed giants to trade their shares at home. Many Chinese tech companies prefer to float in the U.S. or Hong Kong markets because of more flexible listing rules and access to international investors. Regulators are considering issued so-called China depository receipts, modeled after American depository receipts, to enable overseas-listed Chinese companies to list in home markets. Thanks, Ada. For more on this and stock market trends in general in China, we turn now to Doug Young, managing editor at Caixin Global. How are you, Doug? So we're chatting IPOs today, huh? Yeah, we're going to talk about IPOs and and also just、uh, stock markets in general because there's a、uh, some interesting stuff that's been going on both in China and in the U.S.、Uh, with regards to what kinds of stocks people might be able to buy in the future. 
why don't we start off with a big story, which is about this program that China is reportedly considering, which would basically allow a lot of big U.S. and Hong Kong listed Chinese companies, companies like Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent, to do a second listing back in China. And this is actually, in my view, it's it's a good idea because that means that these companies get to sort of have the best of both worlds. They can have a listing in New York or Hong Kong, which is accessible to international investors, but then their shares can also be available in China. And the U.S. already has a program like this, and a lot of companies will do that. Like they'll have a listing in their home market. For example, a lot of Canadian companies will be listed in Toronto for their primary listing, but they'll also have a listing in New York as well using these things called American depository receipts. So what China is looking at is essentially they, they've borrowed the name. They're calling it China Depository Receipts, uh, which will be called CDRs. And, and essentially, this will do the same thing. It'll allow companies that have their primary listing, say, in New York or Hong Kong, can make another listing in China. So their shares will be able to trade in, in both places. And China's talked about trying to lure these companies home quite a few times, but this is one of the first more realistic attempts that I've seen that could actually make this happen. So, Doug, tell us what you think is likely to result from this and give us a sense of what the obstacles are that the Chinese exchanges as well as these companies are going to have to surmount. Okay. Well, the obstacles you know, are probably going to be mostly logistical, but China's shown they can overcome most of the technical obstacles. Uh, there's already this very vibrant Hong Kong-Shanghai and Hong Kong-Shenzhen connect. So I don't think the technology is an issue. China does tend to get bogged down in bureaucracy. And then another big obstacle is China tends to get very timid when markets become volatile. So we've seen a few other programs that seem to be progressing pretty well suddenly get put on ice uh, when the markets became volatile. And so, you know, any sort of market volatility, this program could follow in those footsteps. You know, that said, they, they, they've said on numerous occasions they want to bring home the Chinese companies and there's really no reason like a company like Alibaba, which is just a household word in China, shouldn't be traded in China and available to Chinese investors. So I put the chances at higher than 50-50 that this will probably happen. And as to the timetable, I wouldn't say anything too fast, but maybe by the end of next year. So so give myself uh, quite a bit of leeway, maybe end of 2019. Well, great. So I understand you have another IPO-related story for us. Uh, what's this next one about? Okay, the next IPO story is is sort of really just the latest IPO. Uh, this year has just turned out to be a, a bumper year for offshore IPOs, most of them in New York so far, by Chinese companies. And this is latest one is the biggest I've seen so far by a company called Neo, which uh, used to be called Next EV. But that probably doesn't mean that much to most of our listeners. But this is a probably a stretch to call it a, a Chinese Tesla, but they certainly wouldn't mind uh, having that comparison. It's a pure EV startup, and it's gotten a fair amount of attention. It's gotten a lot of backing from Tencent, uh, which is obviously one of the big Chinese internet companies. And for some reason, people seem to be a bit more excited, you know, the same way they're excited about Tesla versus the Chevy Volt. Uh, you know, because it's a pure EV play, it seems to have a lot of background in the industry, and they've, they've raised a lot of money. So the latest is that these guys have hired, it's either eight or 10 investment banks, 
uh, which is quite a lot. So you can tell the IPO will be very big. And and uh, Target that uh, one of my sources told me about is is two billion U.S., which is it's it's pretty big. Uh, apparently, it would be the biggest U.S. IPO by a Chinese company since Alibaba, and that was back in 2014. So we're seeing this trend, this bumper crop, as you called it. Uh, what is behind this? Uh, who's doing this, and, and why are they all flocking to the U.S. capital markets? Right. This is, a, as I said, NEO is just the latest IPO. I think we've already seen at least seven or eight major IPOs. When I say major, I mean over $100 million U.S., which is, is fairly sizable, uh, so far this year, which is just unheard of because the first two months of the year are usually very, very quiet for IPOs due to uh, Chinese New Year. Uh, so that's already obvious that there's something going on. Uh, then your question is, who's doing these? Uh, well, these these all tend to be private companies. We don't see any state-owned companies in here. And they tend to have some sort of a high-tech element. We've seen a few education companies go go public, but they are all sort of billing themselves as online education. Uh, this Neo company that I just mentioned, they're pure electric cars. Uh, one of the other big ones is iQIYI, which is Baidu's online video service. So again, they tend to have a technology angle. Uh, they're all private. They're all sort of venture-backed. Uh, a lot of them have connections with Alibaba and Tencent. So, you know, there, there, there are a few common themes. And then the other common theme is that these companies can't go public in China. When I say can't, it doesn't mean they are forbidden or whatever, but just in China, the, the process is just so backlogged and so bureaucratic and so slow. And these companies are all backed by pretty savvy venture capital and other people with, with good international connections. They know how to do these international IPOs in New York. So they're just saying, you know, forget about China. And especially now with talk about this, you know, second listing possibility in China, it's very easy for these companies to go to New York or Hong Kong, get a big chunk of cash and pay back to some of their investors, and then maybe later come back to China and, and do a second listing. And so very quickly, do you think that this is a new normal or, or should we understand this just as something of a wave? Oh, it's definitely a wave. IPOs tend to come in waves. I mean, before this one actually dates back to around November last year. You know, what drives it? It tends to be a combination of companies that are at that point in their development, but also investor sentiment. And right now, investor sentiment towards Chinese companies is very bullish. Uh, we saw Alibaba and Tencent both doubled in value last year, and a lot of other Chinese companies saw similar gains. So right now, people are, are pretty bullish on these Chinese companies. Well, Doug, great. Thanks as always. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. And that's this week's show. Thanks for joining us. Drop me an email at kaiser at subchina.com with your feedback. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin and Tanner Brown of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Ufei for the music. Be sure to check out our current affairs show, Seneca, as well as the new GGV996 podcast on tech in China and follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.